Goats are believed to haunt locations that have personal connections to them, be it places they loved, places where they once lived, or places they once worked. Tonight we cover two such places with some famous haunts, the Indiana Dunes National Park and the Moonville Tunnel in Ohio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another wonderful episode of this, well, Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosity's Hometown Haunts podcast. I'm only used to saying that for three straight years. Now we're just a Hometown Haunts podcast. Hello. Welcome. Uh, I'm your host, Kat Cloco, and along with me on this expedition into the unknown are my friends Jen Kohler and Christina Wald. Woo! We're all here. It's super rainy here. <laughs> How is it in Cincinnati? I did not leave the house today, so I don't know. It was rainy over the weekend. <laughs> yeah, it was rainy okay. this weekend, but it was it was cool today, but I didn't actually get outside either. Yeah. Okay. Jen and I are shut-ins today. Yeah, mm-hmm. in our in our basement dwellings. Yes, yes. I'm in my basement right now. So we're, we're, ba- we're basement. basement people now. <laughs> I, I've been sketching cute animals all day. Well, Aww. that sounds fun. And um, painting hippos. Yeah. I've been scanning in old photos for a friend of mine. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Sorry, my something talked to you. I did hear that. Yeah, that was not a ghost. That was um my uh, little computer mod thing oh, that we have uh-huh. in all the like room. Alexa. I don't want to say the name because it yeah. was some of them. At any rate, um, <laughs> you want to have like an EM, one of those EMF things behind you, because that would be really funny if it went off occasionally. Oh yeah, a REM pod would make it really. That would be colorful, but it mm-hmm. also would, with the neon lights back here, it would be mm-hmm. constantly going off. Oh, so uh-huh. what I want is a boo buddy. Have you heard of a boo buddy? No. What's a boo buddy? A boo buddy is basically is a REM pod that is put inside a stuffed animal. Oh and God. it can um, have lights put on the animal so it will shine if anything is around to uh, basically trigger it. But uh, anything breaks the electromagnetic field that the Boo Buddy is creating. Mm-hmm. But they also are timed to say like a few set phrases so that you can basically leave them alone in a room with an audio recorder going a good safe distance away. And the Boo Buddy will go, ha, 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 ha. I'm Boo Buddy. What's your name? Or something like that. <laughs> kind of like a really about that. Nope. <laughs> And, well, uh, I, I, I have my Christmas gift selection <laughs> picked out. I mean, it's Boo Buddies for everyone. Right? <laughs> yeah, I just want one of those going off in the middle of the night unprompted. But um, we had some funny things happening around the house today. Uh, things kept falling off of uh, shelves off the top of the fridge. We had a mop fall down. Mm-hmm. So weird. we're just, we were joking, going, oh. There's a ghost in the house. Our <laughs> kitchen is haunted. But uh, no. Or the earth is just shaking. Yeah, we most likely had an earthquake. A very <laughs> small one that we yeah. didn't even notice. But our, <laughs> the mop did. But uh, okay. yeah. Um, it's just been super rainy here. Deluge of rain. Yeah. So That's Seattle. 
that that is Seattle, and I already own a raincoat. I'm glad I and, and rain boots, so I'm dry. But uh, yeah, others aren't. No. <laughs> so if anyway. anybody's watching, and I look like a moron with my microphone mm -hmm. over my glasses, so I don't have to hold it up to my. Face I think it constantly. looks quite. It looks quite stylish. Well, you it's, know, I I am a trendsetter. It's very tech forward. <laughs> yeah, it's. We're, we're making sure Jen's mic is capturing her golden tones. And uh, yeah, we're, we're working on getting her the appropriate gear. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, if you're you watching You make do YouTube, with what you've got. <laughs> yeah, blame me. Blame me. Oh no, you're fine. Oh no, see now I can't see. There we go. There we go. I so just a real quick shout out for everyone you can follow us at cincy cincy cabinet of curiosities on instagram join our facebook group hometown haunts and also we're dying to hear your personal encounters with the paranormal you can send those to hometown haunted mail at gmail.com or join the facebook group also you can find us on this podcast on apple Podcasts and spotify and watch our show feed on youtube so you can see jen wearing her microphone on her head just find us by searching Hometown Haunts Podcast. And also, don't forget to review and like everything so that the bots make us up higher on the lists, I guess, and easier to search for. Um, Yeah, I'm, I'm going with show announcements. You two just did the Nature Nook, the Canard Nature Nook event last Saturday, and I am dying to hear how it went. It was fun. <laughs> it, went really, it went really well. The yeah. audience was extremely enthusiastic. Yeah. And hopefully some of them will write us with. There was a lot of people that had personal experiences there. And a lot of theater people. I think we're going to need to have to do more theater. Haunted mm -hmm. theater segments. Because so there was. there Was was it. A, what theater was that? Do you remember Jen? It was something in Centerville. There were. Uh, apparently it was a pretty haunted place. Wasn't that the was, Victoria Theater? No, it wasn't Victoria yeah, Theater. It was a Centerville Theater oh. that um, one of the people there had volunteered at. And then there were a couple oh. people. Somebody had acted yeah. at there. I can't remember. Haunted. Um, we'll have to ask. Yeah. Uh, but the there was Town a lot of Hall Theater. It, it? it had the word Centerville in the title. There's so, the CHS Performing Arts Center. Maybe, maybe. Well, I'll ask Katie. Because yeah. well, we can find out, mm -hmm. you know, what it was. But it was a, a lot of people there had had personal experiences. And the more people mm -hmm. that told them, the more people stood up and said, oh, I had experiences. So yeah. there was yeah. a lot of people that had experience. And they loved the coloring sheets. They, a mm -hmm. lot of people were coloring. And um, people liked the drawing, which it's always hard to tell when you're live drawing. Mm -hmm. But Katie said there was one kid that was taking lots of photos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you draw i think you inspired that kid that's great. Well, you know, i think it's one of the few things like when an artist is doing an event like that <laughs> people don't get to see that much live drawing like that and yeah, kids love it and it's a lot yeah. i always do it at school visits because it breaks the ice and you know although sometimes it breaks the ice a little too much and you know it's almost like a riot of screaming children but <laughs> <laughs> did you take any pictures of your drawings i didn't I did not take any okay. pictures of them. Um, you know, I suppose we could ask if they got any. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The Oxford Light one turned out really nice. Oh, yeah. I need one, to see pictures of all these things. It yeah. was really fun. We had a, people, like I said, it was great to have an enthusiastic crowd because the night 
was pretty cold and rainy. Mm -hmm. You know, just as Jen had said, how it's perfect for a Halloween night. Mm-hmm. For scary stories, definitely. And I wouldn't have minded being outside because it was, I was hot. I'm always <laughs> Well, yeah, it wouldn't have been. Now. I, yeah. I was glad that it was indoors this year because it was mm-hmm. quite windy last year when you were doing your storytelling. Yeah, that's why we moved it. We had planned to move it indoors and mm-hmm. reserve the nature nook back in April. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, did you do the ghost walk? Where it's mm-hmm. They did. Do that? They mm-hmm. did do the ghost walk. Yeah. And we had, had a little... nice table of merch. And yeah, yeah. There was this one little girl. She was so cute when we were asking questions. She had to be about five, I think. And she's like, When are we going to get to go on the hike? Oh. I said, Are you bored? Yeah. Oh. You want this to be over? Yeah. <laughs> you, can't get, you, you can't beat the honesty of kids. Oh, so They're cute. super blunt, super yeah. to the point. Like, it was, noodle told me to be quiet. He's like, Mom, it's time to be quiet. <laughs> well, it was kind of exciting because a lot of times, you know, a lot of groups, you don't get a lot of questions. Yeah. You know, even at CXC, as big as those groups were, I guess people lined up for questions, but it, it, it feels like you don't get the enthusiastic questions at a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Especially like if you're talking to college students it's always great when you get them energized enough to ask mm. questions and so it's pretty cool that we had a people of all ages actually yeah, yeah. Adults, you know, small children teenagers too. yeah yeah and so and a lot of them participated in the discussion so it was really it yeah. was really inspiring it was great so if you come next year perhaps you know i can draw the whole time instead of just drawing every other story um and there was this one lady she had a uh i think she might have had a poltergeist in her house because it was throwing things at her so it's just like oh that that's she had actually had ghost hunters at her house yeah Uh oh you know what did we get her name we should have gotten her Uh, i gave her my card and she's supposed to email me they bought a book too they bought a book for their grandson yeah I, i love hearing stories about people who own haunted locations who have had them investigated because mm-hmm. it, it adds an entire new dynamic to the haunting because yes. you're, you're taking it seriously enough that mm-hmm. you're asking people to come in and investigate yeah. who may or may not know what they're doing but <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> I've been with plenty of different teams um and uh, different skill levels and everything. Some are super tech heavy, like with the REM pods that we we're talking about with the Boo Buddies, and some are way more old school with like candles and compasses and notebooks. Oh wow! So that's what I'm meaning. There's a vast variety in how people investigate. So yeah. I love like my uh, Mike's aunt owns a haunted theater in Indiana. Oh, and. She'll tell me whenever she has an investigative group in looking for the ghosts and she'll share with me what the results are and everything. And we do not, this is, we just keep it to ourselves. And it's interesting seeing if we get patterns in what's being reported. That's more what we're looking for is, are these investigators finding similar ghosts in similar places, encountering similar stuff, or are they not like, and we have like a year's worth of data. Oh, cool! Wow. So now, now, how come we didn't visit while you it's were pretty here? Pretty far away. Oh, okay. So, 
Like up north, oh, way up north. I forgot to ask. <laughs> it, it's amazing how Indiana is actually not that small a state. It's, it's not. not. Yeah. Which yeah. brings us to our first topic of today. I know, I know. <laughs> well, I guess we have to finish up announcements because we will yeah, be at uh, the Lane Library on the 28th. And yeah. you'll be beaming in. I will be beaming in. We will have it. We should do it like a seance where we sort of <laughs> have you like kind of come in like. I can be of... Madame Leota. I know. Should, should I get a witch's hat? I have one. I, well, I might have two. Let me. Okay. <laughs> uh, if I have a, a sparrow, I'll give it I to mean, you. I know Horofni and Hedge in Northern Kentucky has witch's hats. I mean, I don't need an excuse. If I had an excuse to go there, that'd be great. <laughs> I now need a blue wig. Mm. Mm. <laughs> blue lipstick. Well, Madame I think you Yoda. could totally pull it off when you know when we started the podcast. You had blue hair. That is true. I did. Did you? So, blue. Then it went to green. So, I like the blue hair. Should, yeah, I, I know yeah, it's probably a pain to maintain, but it was no. tricky to maintain. The blue is a delightfully stubborn color mm. for hair color. Blue and greens. So my favorite was I had universe hair where mm -hmm. uh, the roots were purple and the ends were blue and it okay. faded between the two. Oh, that'd and be cool. Put glitter in. It just looked like the universe. So that was really fun. That one was super hard to maintain though. Yeah. I can imagine. Color bleeding, but yeah, it's yeah. But for Halloween, you know, maybe you don't have to maintain it that long. I'll wear a wig. <laughs> Wigs are better. Yeah. Wigs are way better for like one night funky colors so exactly exactly so oh also so october 28th is our hometown hometown haunts live at the lane library like christina just mentioned but also march 2nd 2024 is the second annual frogman festival in loveland ohio and you can find more information about that at frogmanfestival.org so that will be fun First year was great. So many cryptid cosplayers. I am hoping we see the Fresno Nightcrawler again. Yes. And with the squeaky shoes mm -hmm. and their friend, the, what was it? Mothman, Owlman, something. They had which, the Mothman and then they had, um, which was the other one? They had the Fresno Nightcrawler. Well, I remember that one, but wasn't there a third one? I mean, besides, there's obviously the frog man. Frog man. Were there Bigfoot ones, Sasquatches? I didn't see any Bigfoots. Okay. No Sasquatches, Bigfoots, nope. or Grassmen. Not nope. Bigfeet? Nope. That's start, starting to sound Hobbit-like. Bigfeet. It is starting to sound <laughs> Hobbit-like. Bad joke. Bad joke. <laughs> and of course, you also have here in your announcements about your comic. Oh, yes. So if every and if everyone is interested, wow, that sounds forceful. If <laughs> You, the listener, are interested. I write a post-apocalyptic monster comic called Spiritus Maximus. It just returned after a four-year hiatus from Webtoon. So it's free to read. You just need a Webtoon account to do it. And uh, it's just Spiritus. It's actually Spiritus Maximus Resurrected. Because it, they actually, Webtoon made my account on, not hiatus, they retired it. Because oh no! Wow. So active, inactive for so long that I can still see it. I just can't update anything. So, and you can't unretire it. No, I haven't mm -hmm. figured out how, or I would have done that. Yeah. Because I have four different series with my old account, 
Oh no. And they're all including witches and sorcerers. So it, it, it got retired or closed. I can't access it for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. So I have a new account. It's just Red Cat is the artist's name. And uh, it's Spiritus Maximus Reloaded. So it's fun. Oh, I am enjoying and uh, enjoying working on comics again. It's been three years since I've actually written in illustrated long form comics. Nice. I've just been editing and yeah, right. Writing that way in being part of that creative process, but not actually drawing anything. So that's been cool. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Very exciting. yeah. It's fun, and uh, I think it's, the world's ready for uh, monster comics again. So mm -hmm. yeah, oh, and there's always. a lot of monsters who ghost hunt. So oh, if yay. you like this topic, you'll love that comic. Well, that seems very fun. I'll mm -hmm. start reading after we're done tonight. Okay, it's only four pages up right now. So it's yeah, like, hey, so you should be able to okay. get, catch up quite quickly. Yeah, yeah. And Here people were excited to see the cover reveal for Cabinet of Curiosities three yeah. at the Yay. event. Yeah, so. the the cover was great. It's Sherwin Kwiambao who illustrated it this mm -hmm. year, and uh, uh, a couple people wanted to buy it. So, do you want me to print more out for the next event? Um. No. Okay. <laughs> right now it's just the cover. Um, we we'll do that once Later. we're doing the Kickstarters okay. and all that. Okay. But uh, I'm glad I will tell Sherwin. I'll pass that along yeah. to him that people wanted to buy the cover. Mm -hmm. So I'm that makes me happy. It, it will make Sherwin's day. So yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Mickey. Aww. Yeah. And so I have three dogs surrounding me right now. I think they're ready to hear some dunes. Yes. They are. So I do have to ask, um, have you ever heard of Diana of the Dunes? Mm -mm. No. Oh, man. So I'm excited to share this story because this is a ghost story I grew up with. Oh. So in uh, asking Mike about it, he's from Chicago. I'm like, have you ever heard of Diana of the Dunes? Because he was in, grew up in Chicago and then later in South Bend, Mishawaka, Indiana. And he was also Cub Scouts. And he's just like, no, never heard of it. I'm like, <laughs> seriously? Because we talked about this when we were do around the campfire. Because oh, we yeah? would go visit the dunes before it was a national park. And we talked about this with the guides and everybody, the wow. rangers that were there. So I was stunned that he's never heard the story. So I was telling him about it over dinner. Um, so... Sources for tonight's show is Fox 59, National Park Service, Wikipedia, Weird Indiana, Diana of the Dunes, The True Story of Alice Gray by Janet Zinke Edwards, findagrave.com, and the podcast National Park After Dark, which if you haven't listened to it, is really fun. Um, so, as I said, I grew up with Diana of the Dunes. This is probably one of the first ghost stories and legendary folk people or personalities that I grew up with and knew about in Indiana. And for those who didn't know, I grew up in central northern Indiana at the border between Indiana and Michigan. So Lake Michigan is where I played during the summer and going up all those dunes, super fun and great exercise. And one of the ghost stories is Diana. So to talk about Diana, first we've got to talk about Alice. Originally, Alice Mabel Gray was an intellectual and counterculture figure who ultimately abandoned life in Chicago for a more secluded one along the dunes on Lake Michigan's lakeshore. 
She lived in an abandoned shanty for nine years, writing about her life, studying the ecology and the history of the dunes and becoming a champion of preserving them. Alice was born in Chicago in, on November 25th, 1881, and she had a large family made up of her father, Ambrose Beardsley Gray, a Civil War veteran, and Chicago lamplighter, that was what he did for a profession, her mother, Sally Roxanne Gray, three brothers, and two sisters. At the age of 16, she entered the University of Chicago and graduated with a bachelor's degree in 1903. She received many honorable mentions in astronomy, mathematics, Greek, and Latin, and became a member of the Phi Beta Kappa Society, which is the oldest academic honor society in the United States. This woman was bright. She was very inquisitive. She asked a lot of questions. She got fed up with stuff very quickly, as we will learn. Immediately after college, she worked for the U.S. Naval Observatory doing calculations, but left the position in 1905 to continue her education in higher mathematics at the University of Göttingen in, in Germany, and then came back to the University of Chicago to finish her studies. During that time, she also worked as a stenographer at the University of Chicago and hated it, absolutely hated it. She disdained the wage-earning labor, calling it slavery, which is kind of a very questionable way of describing it, but she hated working the nine-to-five jobs. She hated the work-life balance culture of 1905 Chicago. She hated how she had multiple years of degrees. She had a bachelor's and a master's in mathematics and was being paid almost nothing. That entire work, she was just like, why, as a woman, am I not being taken seriously enough? Because I, I'm smart. I'm smarter than some of these men in the room with me. And I can't pull in the money like a professor does. So underpaid, overworked, not recognized for extraordinary work. This sounds super familiar. <laughs> By 1915, she had had enough of urban life and was looking for an alternative. And that's when she had the idea to move to the dunes. During her nine years as a graduate student at the University of Chicago, she would frequent the dunes as a visitor and had fallen in love with the natural beauty of the area. It's not hard to get to the dunes contemporarily. Like right now, you can take the South Shore line over to Gary or to Michigan City, get off of the line and walk to the dunes. It's probably only a, maybe a mile trek up north. I don't know if that kind of infrastructure existed with the South Shore. I assume it did because it's a really long running uh, commuter rail, but uh, it must have. I'm answering my own question as I'm talking because she continued to visit Chicago. So that she must have taken the South Shore. We called it the push me, pull me, by the way, because it could go back or forth without an engine. But at any rate, um, yeah, the South Shore Railroad was right there. All right. So she had fallen in love with it and visited multiple times while a student. And now at the age of 35, she's like, F all this, I'm out. And she just quit. And she took all of her belongings, sold what she didn't need and moved to the dunes, which although there may have been a railroad, it was inaccessible by car. And very few people actually lived in the dunes, mostly Older men who were dune hermits. 
So having a mid thirties woman become a dune hermit with them was very strange. And that got people's attention. So we're going to talk about the shoreline a little bit. Since the late 1800s, the Lake Michigan shoreline had become more industrialized. U.S. Steel had acquired the dune lands in Indiana and had started construction on a steel production factory. The company had also developed Gary, Indiana, along with seven miles of the lakeshore, kind of going to Chicago from Indiana, the Michigan City, Gary to Chicago. Then there was the Hoosier Slide, a massive 200-foot sand dune near Michigan City that became a popular tourist attraction in the late 1800s. However, the sand that came from the Hoosier Slide made beautiful blue glass, and the Ball Brothers, as we know as the founders of Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana, and Harmon Gray Glass Company, created the ball blue canning jars, and a harming gray blue insulators. These industries slowly mined away at the dune until it was completely used up in 1920. Because of the issues with the steel and mining, conservation activists had crusades to save the shoreline from more damage, damaging development, and Gray, as in uh, Alice Gray, was joining this effort to save the dunes. So if you can imagine, these dunes are being eaten up by uh, companies that still exist to this day in these locations. We actually looked it up. The U.S. steel plant that is located just next to where her shanty was located still exists and is operational. So there you go. It's it's Things don't change. It's been over 100 years. So in October of 1915, Gray moved to Dune County, or Dune Country, sorry, there's no Dune County. <laughs> That'd be cool though. Dune Country in northwestern Indiana. Finding an abandoned shanty along the lake, she named the Driftwood because just like it, she was driftwood. Everything was made of driftwood. She moved in along with what few possessions she had taken with her from Chicago. She survived off of berries and fish and fixed up her home with the driftwood found along the shore. She read extensively there and also journaled as well and was able to make a trek to the lakeside community of Miller, Indiana to visit the public library there. And she was quite a common scene or sight in Miller to see she would go there, buy stuff, go get library books and then walk back. Gray was also able to visit the uh, Chicago as well and the museums there. And that's probably because of the South shoreline. She wrote about her life on the dunes and the need to preserve them. And we also have lots of photos that were taken from the Chicago Inquirer. And we will be putting those up on social media so you could see what Alice Gray looked like lounging around in her linen on the beach. After she survived her first winter there, and oh boy, are winters bitter on that beach. There is, the water is quite frigid that when it comes up off of Lake Michigan, there's a famous photo of the St. Joseph Lighthouse. It's in St. Joseph, Michigan, but that's actually only a few miles away on the coastline. And that's the lighthouse that is basically looks like there's a wave frozen crashing into it. That is Lake Michigan. It is not a warm place to live. And she survived her first winter there. I don't know how. Uh, because of this, the fishermen would say, hey, there's this chick 
I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna assume they were old men fishermen. Hey, there's this chick that's living in this shack, and when it got warm enough, she would bathe in the nude in the lake and then run around on the beach nude because she had no beach towel to dry off. And these fishermen are like, Oh, what? This is 1915. No, she's just running around buck naked on the beach. And of course, they're talking about this when they get back to port at the wherever they're coming. And they're like, did you see that lady? She had no clothes on. And just word got out. So at some point, it said that one of the journalists from Chicago got wind of the story. And that's how the moniker Diana the Dunes got popularized from the, a lot of these articles from the mid-1910s. Um, also, she was a solitary woman. She was in her mid-30s, so she was relatively young and living by herself on this beach with the other beach hermits, like every mile or so. So this entire idea that this woman's living by herself without a man or anyone else helping her, she's foraging on her own, she's hunting on her own, and running around the beach nude at a time when, one, the beach wasn't beachy beachy it was more like forest and then bam the lake and there weren't a lot of tourists at the time so it was really quite remote being out there so it was a sight it was just a sight i can only imagine legend so let's see according to the chicago examiner article fisherman reported seeing her as i just said i have lost where i am on my script <laughs> oh and then the Chicago Examiner later in 1916 came and interviewed her. And when they asked what propelled her to move out there and live on her own, her reply was, I want to live my own life, a free life, which I think a lot of us can identify with. And that interview with her exploded in popularity. And that's where the Diana the Dunes nickname, although it was created beforehand, really stuck. And she kind of ran with it. Uh, she got in, basically, she became this folk legend within the area and within Chicago because the newspapers were just in awe over the fact that this woman was doing this and living this life off the land and without anything industrial around and also saying, hey, we need to save and preserve all this dunes because they're super special and they're really pretty. Maybe we should not turn them all into glass bottles. So it just civilian, not civilians, the citizens were just enamored with her. And uh, she, even though she was so reclusive, she did go in quite a few times to Chicago to do live speaking events. And this is when she started um, gaining more notoriety and penning opinion pieces for different newspapers, magazines, one that we do have uh, saved is a Prairie Club Bulletin from 1917 titled Chicago Kinland, where she is, details the need to preserve the dunes for their beauty, their spiritual power, and the significance to the ecosystem. So um, she was just really spreading the word, which I think a lot of us, especially now in contemporary times we we think of that turn of the century as very industrial very um big uh, gilded age 
And we kind of forget that there are people like Audubon that existed at the time that were trying to save and preserve these areas of the land. I, I don't think their stories get told quite as often as they really should be. I think it's being told more than it used to be. But I had no idea that Alice Gray did all of this. I just knew her as a ghost. So I'm kind of amazed at the amount of work she did back in the 1910s. In 1920, she started a relationship with Paul Wilson, a local fisherman and carpenter who had be, had a notoriously bad temper. They first shared the driftwood shack, but soon relocated to a home they called the Wern's Nest in what is known as Ogden Dunes, which is now where U.S. Steel is, is right next to Ogden Dunes. In 1922, she got herself involved in a murder mystery. (laughs) A body of a man was found near the Wern's Nest. It had been beaten and burned, and local officials suspected Paul Wilson of the man's murder. Deputy Sheriff Eugene Frank also accused the couple of robbing local cottages and stealing fish. Like they were pelicans or something. When the group approached Frank, as in um, Wilson and Gray, uh, they got into an altercation which resulted in Frank's gun discharging into Wilson's foot. So there's a photo of Wilson sitting on the back stoops with a uh, basically a tourniquet around his foot. And I'm just like, you're not going to the hospital for that, sir. You're just going to sit. Okay, you do that. When they returned to the Wern's Nest, they discovered it had been ransacked. So 1922 was a very bad year for those two. Wilson later cleared was cleared of the murder cases, but the murder was never solved. So the Wern's Nest cold case is still, still there in Indiana. <laughs> no one knows who killed this man. In 1912, the Dunes Highway was uh, built. It's also known as US-12 between Gary and Michigan City. Uh, Sorry, I think that's 1921. I think I fell into my own little dyslexia hole. That's 1921. The Dunes Highway was created. And that's also known as US-12 between Gary and Michigan City. It was completed and ran close to the Wern's Nest. The Dunes Highway also allowed easy access to the dunes from Chicago, which increased the traffic to the area and brought a whole lot of unwanted attention to Gray and Wilson because she was a folk hero and people wanted to see her, dang it. Someone purchased the property where the Wern's Nest was located and fed up with the traffic and curiosity seekers, Wilson and Gray decided to head to Texas where Wilson was originally from. Originally, they were going to float down the Mississippi River on their own 20 to 24 foot boat that they had salvaged. However, only after a few months of being gone, because they were just like, peace out, everyone, we're going to Texas. They came back to the property owner and requested to be able to move back into the Wern's Nest, which they were allowed to do. In early 1925, Gray fell ill from kidney failure and refused to be hospitalized. She died at the Wern's Nest at Ogden Dunes on February 8, 1925 from a uric poisoning. She was only 43 years old and is buried at Oaklawn Cemetery in Gary, Indiana with a headstone reading Alice Gray Wilson. It is unknown if Gray and Wilson were ever, ever formally married, but she did take his, or at least somebody used his last name for her headstone, but that's where she's buried. She also had wished to be cremated, which was a something that was done at the time, 
and be her ashes sprinkled around the dunes. But that last wish was not actually granted and she is buried at the cemetery. There are rumors Gray had two daughters with Wilson. This is something I saw a lot when I was rereading a lot of the stories. However, this seems to be a mix-up with the children Wilson had with his second wife after Alice. His second wife was Henrietta Hesse Martindale, and Wilson and Martindale were married in 1926 and had two daughters, Diana, who was born in 1928, and Henrietta II in 1929. Like Her mother was known as Hesse, so... Hessa and Wilson lived in Michigan City, where Wilson built furniture. Eventually, they moved to California, where they divorced, and the entire family just falls into obscurity afterwards. So, that is interesting. I have, um, I actually found, it's not actually hard to find, uh, um, Alice's, Alice Gray's uh, death certificate, and saying what she died of, and where her headstone is. So creation of the Indiana Dunes National Lakeshore, later National Park. Gray's story is a staple for those who are lucky enough to have grown around the dunes. In fact, like I said, my own Girl Scout troop um, not only told the stories of the Gray Lady or Diana the Dunes, but we were also Council of the Singing Sands. Singing Sands are specific to the dunes. I think the only other ones are the dunes out in Colorado. And it's an interesting, very low hum that you can hear if the conditions are right. And it's very spooky if you get to hear it. It's just like this low that the sand is actually making by vibrating. So it, it's cool. And I find it fun that I grew up where the council is singing sands. Anyway, Gray and Wilson and the other conserv conservationists were successful in saving the dunes. So yay, this has a happy ending. And I'm happy to say that. The area has been an ecological interest since 1899 when the University of Chicago started studying the flora and fauna of the area. Plans started in 1916 to create the Sand Dunes National Park, only reinforced, reinforced by the mining and disappearance of the Hoosier Slide Dune in 1920. The Indiana Dune State Park opened in 1926, just one year after Gray's death. And in the 1950s, the property that has Taramac Bog was saved from development and added to the park. In 1966, the Indiana Dunes National Lakeshore, which is what I know it as, was authorized by Congress, later made into the 61st National Park on February 15, 2019, 94 years after Gray's death. The Indiana Dunes National Park runs for 20 miles along the coastline of northwestern Indiana, spanning Porter, Lake, and LaPorte counties. This is the Evan. There's also evidence of Hopewell culture here, and five ground mounds or earthworks have been documented in the area. There's also a ghost town in the dunes called City West. It was established in 1837, but failed later that year due to a national economic panic. In 1850, a forest fire burnt down what was left of City West, and now there is a pavilion there in the park where that city used to be. There's also Diana's Dare. In honor, in honor of Alice Mabel Gray, the park has a hiking challenge called Diana's Dare, following the trail that Gray used herself while living in the dunes. It is 0.8 miles long along the beach and through the dunes of the Park of Dunes section, Trail Loop 1. Climbing dunes is surprisingly tough work, and I want to remind everyone who visits 
please stay on the path as you can fall into an acute sinkhole and you may die. So it's really difficult to get you out of a sinkhole. There was a six-year-old that fell into one in 2013. Believe he survived, but boy, oh boy, if you go down, you go down quickly. It's worse than quicksand. Because here's a fun fact. Those dunes, they're on an old forest. So there's like trees underneath all that sand. And when they decay and collapse, that's when you get sinkholes. So stay on the paths, everyone, please. <laughs> just, just stay on there. All my dogs ran out of the room at the same time. And that's weird. Okay, hauntings. So what you all have been waiting for, and I've been building up to slowly, is the massive amount of hauntings that people have reported of seeing uh, Gray, a.k.a. the Gray Lady, ironically with her name. That's not why she's called the Gray Lady, but seeing the Gray Lady of the Dunes. So Indiana Dunes National Park is home to one of the most popular ghost stories of any national park in the United States, and that would be Diana the Dunes. Gray never left her beloved dunes and still is seen there today along the lakeshore. Witnesses claim to see the Gray Lady, ironic with her last name, around the park. She's described to look out of place and wear a flowing gray dress, or sometimes reported as a white dress, without shoes on, which is what... People go, why are you walking around the dunes? It's sandy, it's rocky, and you have pieces of twigs and trees jetting out. It's not a pleasant sandy walk like you would think with a beach. And she's wearing no shoes. So that's super uncomfortable. So that's what gets people's attention. But she'll like show up on a hiking trail in front of them, especially in this Diana Dare area. And people will take a turn and expect her to be right in front of them and they're, she's gone. And did a sinkhole get her? Who knows? But she just disappears. Other people who have been hiking have seen her walking through the pine forest at the side of the trails and going, hey, wait a minute, she's not wearing shoes and she's just walking through this pine forest. And then they would turn back, go look at her again, and she's gone. So those are really common sightings. Uh, one of the classic sightings is seeing her nude walking, running around the beach. So basically um, what they have seen. So much like the early reports from 1915, fishermen and boaters on the waters offshore of the park have witnessed a ghostly lady bathing in the water near where the driftwood shack once stood. Others have witnessed the phantom also running up and down the dunes nude. That's pretty attention getting since it's super illegal to do that now. This is very common ghost story. And like I said, I even heard about it when I was camping at the park. Hikers in the park have reported following the strange woman, as I said, on the trails. And also they have witnessed her literally floating over Lake Michigan. So that, that has to be spooky. And people will see her at, in the day or at night. So she's, she makes herself known real well on the park. Some stories have erroneously point to Wilson, her common-law husband, as her murderer, which I discovered researching this. There's a merging of the 1922 murder outside of her house with that of how she died. 
So it's only been recently when the book was written around 2010, where a lot of Alice's life story got sorted out more. So the stories that I heard growing up was that the gray lady or Diana the Dunes was, of course, I heard about how her ghost ran around naked on the beach, but that she had been the daughter of a very well-to-do Chicago businessman who decided to shirk all of her um, worldly possessions and live among the dunes, which is not true. Her dad was just a day laborer, not just a, but a laborer. And he lit the lights around Chicago. He actually got apparently very injured uh, while working. He got burned, severely burned one time. So right before she started college. So it was a dangerous job what he did, but he was by no means an extremely wealthy man who she was running away from, basically. Also, there is uh, allegations that Wilson was very, not only hot-headed, but abusive, and that may he may have killed her, um, or that the amount of trauma that she had gone through had caused the kidney failure, but that most likely is not it. Since no autopsy can be done, we will never know. But those are erroneous reports um, he did not kill her. Uh, she was did not run away to go live in the dunes because of some jilted lover. It's She really just wanted to be alone. She was an independent woman and was unsatisfied with urban life. If you're interested in learning more about Alice Mabel Gray's life, please read Diana of the Dunes, The True Story of Alice Gray by Janet Zenke Edwards. came out in 2010. And it's not it not only goes into a deep dive with her life even further than what I've done tonight, but also includes excerpts from her own journal entries in the back half of the book. So please check that out if you want to know more about Diana the Dunes. And with that, I turn it over to Jen and the Moonville Tunnel. Well, first, I have a question. When you were there, did you ever sense her or see her? Yeah. No. I was too busy, like, roasting marshmallows. And... <laughs> There's also every summer near the end of summer, a massive fish die off. It's just the type of fish that live in Lake Michigan. So we oh. were usually hiking that time of year and it got really stinky. So I, I was bet. kind of trying not to walk on fish corpses. And I was Ew. Ew. Yeah. It's, I, have you ever been to Lake Michigan? Either of you? Mm -mm. No. Uh, well, I've been to Chicago, so I guess kind of on the shores. Oh, well, yeah. But not, not, not like you. No, not in the yeah. wilderness. I've always not wanted to see the part. dunes, though. Just the city part. Okay, yeah. yeah. It's uh, well, Lake Michigan is very pretty. Um, mm -hmm. I love it a lot. It can get very stinky, as mm -hmm. I just said. But uh, and there's a pretty shallow of the Great Lakes. I think it's the most shallow, hmm. if I remember right. Superior is the deepest. But okay. Michigan's pretty cold, especially in the winter, and it makes a lot of lake effect snow for Michigan yeah. in northern Indiana. Yeah. So there was many times that I would go trick-or-treating in snow pants. <laughs> so I'm familiar with the lake to... effect. Hmm? I'm familiar with the lake effect snow from, from being in uh, Rochester for a few years. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's not as it's not as much as Rochester would get. It, it's we would always go, wow, three three feet in a day. That's bad. And then we would learn about Rochester getting like six to nine feet. And we're like, whoa. 
sometimes it skipped us. It would hit Buffalo and mm -hmm. then go to Syracuse. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, but we had two lakes up there. We had Erie and Ontario to deal with. Mm -hmm. And it always uh, liked to dump snow on us. Did it stop things from running? Absolutely not. I nope. still had to go to class. Yep. <laughs> yep. 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 Exactly. Oh. But she sorry. sounds awesome. She, yeah, she's, so, she was an incredible person. Yeah. So you, so she still has, people still talk about her there. Oh, yeah. She's a much beloved folk legend, basically. Like, are there markers or anything about her, like, in the visitor center? Or Yeah, I believe if you go on the Diana Dare uh, mm -hmm. loop, they have little placards where, uh, talking about her and her life and her um, work with ecology and trying to save everything. Mm -hmm. So it, she really just in the short time, she was only there for about a decade, but using that Diana, the dunes personality, basically she managed to gain so much attention to the dunes and also the ecology and how the industry was not working well with the natural landscape. And it was hurting actively people and communities. Yeah. So that's a lot to uh, accomplish in a decade. And yes. I'm sad to see that she died so young because I really would have yeah. loved to see what she could have done further on. Yeah. But that's. What's the, the Diana Dare? Does that consist of like daring someone to do something or what is the story behind that name? I think it's marketing. Marketing. Okay. Yeah. Because when you look at the sign too, uh -huh. um, it has a woman with really long hair and a really uh -huh. like who's really thin and a big flowing dress behind her and she's making like this wellness v-shaped thing with her arms that kind Which of pose. Is not the diana no diana yeah. was a short yeah. woman mm -hmm. with a bowl cut and she was stocky much like myself mm -hmm. and she famously wore a two-piece linen dress top and skirt outfit and then awesome. walked around bare feet yeah. So, great lady. I We'll have photos of her up. I can identify very much with her with the short stockiness. And uh, the slender identify her. lady she was not. So I can but, identify uh, with the reason she went out there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear you, girl. I hear you. Very hipster. Yeah. Sorry, Christina. What did you say? Oh, I didn't say anything. I, I was just, just agreeing. Yeah, I was just laughing. <laughs> Yeah, um, because I, I mean, it, it, it's interesting. It, it almost, for some reason, it makes me think of the hermits. Make me think of the popularity of van life now, where people oh, are yeah. just like oh, yeah. shooing, getting a house, and deciding to live on the road. Yeah. And this is less mobile, but still sort of a hermit lifestyle. Yeah, I'm contemplating it. Yeah, very much like that. Like, literally just put a, a set of oversized glasses on her and she looks like a lot of hipsters that you've seen recently. Yeah. Okay. So, All right. I speak as somebody with oversized glasses. <laughs> <laughs> like your serial killer glasses you've got. Yeah. You. I like those. Oh, I, I'm excited to hear about the Moonville Tunnel. Yeah, All right. I had never heard of this until today. Um, let me tell you my sources if i can get back obviously weird ohio by james ellis friend of the podcast uh the ohio department of natural resources um the uh, there's a uh, article in the columbus Dis dispatch uh and i forgot to write the name of the title but it 
was printed in January of this year. Uh, the visitvittoncounty.org. And yes, most of it is from those, those sources. So, okay. Let me scroll back up. Okay, the Moonville Tunnel. The Moonville Tunnel was built through a hillside through a hillside around 1856 in Zalski. Not sure if I'm saying that right. Um, oh, Zalski. Zalski. Let me look. <laughs> yeah, Zalski, like Zalski. Zale, the the diamond people. Diamonds. Yes. Okay. Zalski, Ohio area. Ow, 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 ow. Sorry, I hit my I hit my cup finger. Oh no! <laughs> oh it's, no! It's fine. It's not bleeding. It's good. Oh good, good. Um, oh good. All right, please cut that out. <laughs> I will. I will. Okay. okay. Let me just start over. The Moonville Tunnel was built through a hillside around 1856 in the Zalski, Ohio area. It sits between the towns of Mineral and Zalski in the Zalski State Forest. The town sprung up on Samuel Coe's land after he gave permission to the Marietta and Cincinnati Railroad to build a railroad line on his property. Side note, the line was later absorbed by the Baltimore, Baltimore and Ohio Railroad, a.k.a. B&O, which we all know from Monopoly. Yeah, I called it the B.O. Railroad. Yeah. And then well, we go, ew. ew. It probably did smell. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> It's did most things back then. Um, at the moon at Moonville's peak in 1800, it had around eight uh, had around 100 residents, consisting of a railroad. Uh, oh my god, consisting of railroad workers and miners. The town began its decline when coal mines began closing in the early 1900s. By 1947, the last family in Moonville abandoned the town. What remains today are the train tunnel, the foundation of the old school house, and a cemetery. And now to the ghosts. Yeah, that just sounds spooky on its own. Just, I know, just right? The tunnel itself, the way it's sur just surrounded by forest, dense yeah. forest, and it's mossy. Yeah. When, it, from what I can tell, I mean, the town doesn't really exist anymore. It's just all state forest. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. It's only the land of Bigfoot now. Yeah, and I really want to go out there. All right, on to the creep crawly ghosts. In the, in the 1800s, 1880s, two trains traveling from opposite directions collided in a head-on crash. The engineer of one of the trains, trains, Frank Lawhead, carrying a lantern and dressed in white, returns to the tunnel and has been doing so since the crash. He is the tunnel's first ghost. Uh, another version of his story is a brakeman trying to catch the train as it leaves, but is killed when he stumbles onto the track, tracks and is run over by, by the train. This is another version of Frank Lawhead's death. However, it said that Lawhead or the brakeman, according to the Columbus Dispatch article, has been seen as an eight-foot-tall apparition dressed in dirty overalls with balls of fire for eyes. He swings a lantern and when spotted at the entrance of the tunnel, lets out a blood curdling scream. Sounds like he has allergies. <laughs> Probably. Mm. I mean, it's Ohio after all. It is Ohio. Dude, pollen season. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. 
Uh, and yet another simpler version of the brakeman's death was that he was drunk, fell asleep on the tracks, and was killed. According to an author of Weird Ohio, James Willis, the dark man is named Rastus Dexter, an eight-foot-tall African-American. Um, so I think these two, these versions have kind of meshed together over time, kind of like a game mm -hmm. of telephone. So who knows which one is true, but the one from James, I think was actually in the newspaper. So okay. I, I, that one might be true. Don't know about being eight feet tall. But well, I trust James and his reporting. I do too. No, yeah. I do too. Yeah. Eight foot tall, like. I mean, people can be eight feet tall. Well, we don't yeah. know. But yeah, I guess right. it's still pretty rare today as it would have been back then. Yeah. Okay. So I think they messed. Another ghost is the ghost of the town bully. It's said to throw pebbles from the top of the tunnel. Um, he was a farmer who liked to pick on people and was thrown out of a Zalski bar and didn't make it home. Several, several days later, his body was found, possibly murdered, but the killer has never been found. If you're walking underneath the Tuttle's interest and feel a pebble hit you, it's probably the angry ghost of the town bully. You know, that sounds like, except for the uh, tunnel being involved, mm -hmm. the, uh, the plot of Oklahoma. Oh my gosh. It's the musical Oklahoma, except for no tunnel. <laughs> it, it, it just angry pebbles i'm sorry i should not no, be laughing okay. at the ghost story but... no that's okay who knows where it came from because um i found it on one particular site that was nothing mm -hmm. but this the moonville tunnel mm -hmm. but this is the only place i found the story so i thought mm -hmm. i'd just include it because who knows we don't know what i've never been there so i don't know what ghosts are out there true okay continue uh, please okay also, another ghost, if you smell an overwhelming scent of lavender while walking along the path of the former train tracks, it could be a visit from the lavender lady. She didn't hear an oncoming train and was killed while walking along the tracks in search of her fiancé, who was a rail worker. Her spirit has been seen in a white dress or period clothing around the tunnel and trestles. She has also been seen as a shapeless entity. And then this one seems to be... The most popular, and it kind of goes in with uh, Lawhead's death. Phantom gas lanterns waved by ghostly railroad, railroad workers killed by a train in the tunnel can also be seen. And of course, the ghostly whistle of a train can be heard floating on the wind. Today, the tunnel is part of the Moonville Rail Trail, a 10-mile trail through Zalski State Forest, communities of Mineral and Zalski, in the Lake Hope State Park wetland areas. Every October, there is a festival called Midnight at Moonville, which features a haunted trail, storytelling, craft vendors, music, and wagon wagon rides. Unfortunately, it was this past Saturday, so we can't go. I was really Dang. hoping. I know. Dang. I know. Oh. I, when I read that, I was just, oh, man, I want to go. But Yeah. Um, and also, you can read more about Moonville and its ghosts in the books, The Little Book of Moonville, its past, its ghosts, its legends, and Moonville Ghost Stories and Haunts Along the Railway. By Both books are by Jeanette Quackenbush. And I do believe she also does haunted hikes. 
Um, and there's one October 21st, 28th, and the 31st. And you can go to Moonville. No, I'm sorry, MoonvilleTunnel.net, or there's a Facebook page, and we can put that in the show notes. There's links. Okay. And that is the Moonville, Moonville Tunnel. Sorry, oh, I couldn't sounds... talk tonight. <laughs> it's all right. It's oh we the name Moonville. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I so think, yeah, we. No, I think the reason it's Moonville is because the way the the moon, the full moon, would shine on it, or something like that. I didn't look too deep deeply into that. Sorry. <laughs> it's all right. I know we passed it when we were going to the Anchorage last okay. year. Okay. We would have passed where the Moonville Tunnel is. There was a lot of paranormal things. I was just like, hey, it's Athens. Hey, mm-hmm. it's Moonville. Hey, it's the Silver Bridge. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't go to any of them. No. There's we never did enough time. Though. So, yes. yes. In, in Anchorage. But, yeah. Well, I guess Athens students, are, that was a place they would go. Now, can you imagine back in the day before it was the state forest, mm-hmm. just going camping there and hanging oh, yeah. out there? Yeah. It would have been super creepy. It would have been. What I'm kind of glad about is that this is a haunted train tunnel that you can visit mm -hmm. and potentially encounter something at Mm -hmm. versus the Tunnelton Tunnel, which is in Indiana, which is still a live railroad. Ah, So if you try to walk on the trail on the train tracks, you're going to get smushed. So um, I'm always really leery about these train tunnels Mm -hmm. because I'm like, I want to talk about them because a lot of them have ghost lanterns and mm-hmm. other spooky things around, but also I don't want to encourage people to go onto live tracks because nope. it's just bad mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's just, yeah, but I'm glad it's, a, that's pretty cool. I would want to walk. Yeah. Through it has a paved walkway and you can walk through it. Um, there is an un- another tunnel that is part of the trail. So yeah. Christina, you have, <laughs> some stories from our listeners yes well i have a hometown haunt i'm trying to uh, spread them out so that we don't use them all like so we'll do like one a week yeah so that we can we can preserve them but this one i i thought would be one that would be close to your heart because you've been to gettysburg yes and sorry before we start have you two been to gettysburg before no No. i've not been to gettysburg i would like to go go to gettysburg All it right. sounds like it. It sounds like it's a pretty spooky place. It is very spooky. So this is from Alicia. And she says, when I was a teenager, I traveled to Gettysburg with some friends. We went on a haunted walking tour of the area and finished in an old building. I wish I had kept the name of the building somewhere, but I remember that it was all upstairs. Do you know what that might have been, Kat? And let's continue the story and see if it gets described a little bit better. Okay. We were sitting on some benches in two rows facing the tour guide. My friend and I were on the back bench, which was about a foot away from the wall, and there was no one behind us or below us to speak of. As the tour guide was talking about how they typically get a lot of encounters in this building, my friend whispered to me, are you touching my back? I looked at both my hands on my lap and I said, no. She then asked me, can you look at my back? She was wearing a warm-up jacket that was one of those that showed wrinkles very easily. And there on her back was a perfectly smooth spot as if someone had been touching it. Needless to say, when I told her that, she screamed. And the tour guide looked a little smug when she said that happened frequently there. Oh, I bet she was in the orphanage. So Uh, Kids messing with people? 
Yeah, there's a lot of kids I miss there. Um, it is in downtown Gettysburg. Now, please, person who wrote this in, thank you for writing in, for one. Yeah, but awesome also, story. if you can remember which building it's in, even approximately where it's at, that helps a lot. Because pretty oh, much, yeah, every single location has its own special blend of ghosts. Hmm. Like the Jenny Wade house, the hmm. orphanage, which is literally across the street from it. The um, large Gettysburg Hotel, which is the on the other side of the Jenny Wade house. Um, Mr. G's ice cream has a lot of stuff going on in it across the street from that. It's, um, oh goodness, the one where the, all the snipers were. There, there's a lot of snipers and attics along that street. So um, each each house has its own different type of ghost. So wow. that one kind of sounds like the orphanage because it's one of the few buildings where it's big enough to have a group of people sit mm-hmm. across from each other and look. A lot of these houses are very small and it'd be difficult to bring a lot of people in. So that's why I think it's an orphanage, but Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Did you have anything touch you while you were there? I know you saw stuff. I saw a lot. I don't, I haven't, I haven't been touched and that sounds really strange taken out of context. I know it does sound. (laughs) There seems to be a lot of ghost stories. A lot of people say they feel like someone like, taps them on the back or on the shoulder or or whatever so it seems like a fairly common incident i have been tapped before on the shoulder like a distinct tap you know where somebody sits there and goes dun dun like that Mm -hmm. it was at the franklin theater in franklin indiana and it was for a ghost hunting charity event that my one of the old teams that i worked with did so we basically raise funds for the historical society in the mm-hmm. fall by doing um, a guided ghost hunt. And I was in the basement near the swamp. Oh gosh, what is it called? The swamp boiler, not a swamp boiler. Um, basically to cool the entire, the swamp pump, um, basically to cool the building. Cause it was mm-hmm. built before 1920 and, um, they used water to do it and they called it the swamp something. And now I'm just blanking, but we were in the basement and uh, something tapped me very definitely on my shoulder. And I was wearing a rather puffy sweatshirt and the person who was next to me, I felt the poke. And then I looked around at them and they had turned pale. Like all the blood had drained from their face. And I'm like, what's up? Did you poke me? And they're like, no, but I watched it happen. Oh, what? And they're like, I was just listening to the story and you were standing in front of me and you are quite short so I can see all of you. And suddenly there is an indent in your sweatshirt and I could see it happen twice. And it it, it freaked them out. They were done with the ghost hunt. I think they (laughs) left not too long after. But, But you weren't freaked out. I was just like, well, it's another day. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think that would freak me out. Yeah, it, it was it was just strange. And it's one of the yeah. few times I've actually been poked. But mm-hmm. in Gettysburg, I saw, I, I know I've mentioned it in the three years we've been doing this show, mm-hmm. the different mm-hmm. entities that I, I saw on the battlefield. And Antietam was just as much, if not more. So, yeah, yeah. Gettysburg yeah. is interesting. Yeah, also another it. national park yes awesome. definitely have to check it out sometime yeah yes. yeah i think I, I the only time i i remember once i was 
I would get up really early. Well, I often get up really early to paint and work on artwork because it's so quiet. And of course, when you get up, as you, everyone who has animals knows, they want to be fed right when you get up. But at mm -hmm. three or four in the morning, you're not going to feed them. So my cat Spike at the time, I said, I'm not going to feed you till six. <laughs> and so I just started working and I didn't pay attention. All of a sudden, I felt something touch my shoulder and I about <laughs> jumped out of my skin. And I turned around. It was the cat. He, he was. He, he had reached up and touched my shoulder with his paw. And I looked down at the clock, and it was six a.m. Oh, yeah, see, they know how to tell time, little jerks. Yeah, you do. And he was like, "Okay, you promised." Oh my goodness! It's time, mother. It's time. You, pro you promised food. Oh Does somebody waited. want to correct Yeti on this? Because he is bringing. He has a green treat ball. Uh -huh. What he does at 4.30 in the morning, which would be 7.30 a.m. Eastern time, he walks up to my side of the bed, sticks his head with the treat ball, and goes, no, 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 like that. But because of the ball, it also echoes. Aww. And it, it's just, it's like a Wookiee has just stuffed its mouth <laughs> in my ear. And it's just like, I need food. Like, oh my gosh. He's really he's, whiny. He's a big so. dog. He probably just needs a lot of food. <laughs> he does. He needs a lot of food. He is also young and doesn't know boundaries. Yes. Um, I like cannot say anything because I um give in to the demands of my elderly kitty, who I am trying to keep desperately at six or seven pounds and not get any smaller so whenever i get up she demands food and guess what i give it to her because <laughs> oh, she's sense, 20 years old and what the hell <laughs> yeah yeah i understand completely the other one though clover still demands it and she's only four yeah <laughs> well speaking so. of pets i am wishing a good recovery for our friend katie's dog any yeah. oh yes yeah, Sweet she had surgery and she's not taking confinement well. <laughs> yeah. But she has six, seven, more weeks. On seven more weeks. Seven more weeks of recovery. Seven more weeks. Good luck. That's gotta be rough for you both have. of them. Good luck, Katie. Good luck, Good luck. Annie. Yeah. And on that note, yes. So on that note, you can follow us at Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities on Instagram and please join our Facebook group, Hometown Haunts. And if you have a ghost story you would like to share with us, you can send it to hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com. We love hearing tales of the paranormal and uh, especially in national parks, apparently. We love those. So, yes, please send them in. So for Jen, Christina, and myself, stay happy, stay healthy, and stay haunted. Good night. Bye. Bye.